chapter 3. The title of today's message is One Thing. Um, you've probably heard that phrase, um, and maybe, maybe you've said it to others, maybe you've had it said to you, maybe you've said it to your kids. Uh, you had one job. You had one job. Uh, it, it usually is a, a kind of a phrase that comes up when, oftentimes it's when somebody messes up, and you had one, one key thing to remember, and, and you didn't remember it. You, you didn't do it. And I, I actually found there's, there's a whole website devoted uh, to this idea or this, this joke. Uh, and, I, and I found a few pictures that um, maybe will bring a little chuckle of, of people who maybe had one job and, and kind of uh, <laughs> weren't aware or paying attention or that. I don't know, that would drive me nuts. I'd have to stop and change that. This is monstrous. Could you even, could you even eat hot dogs or brats, whatever's being served with, with that going on? <laughs> I, th- I, think I, I think I actually did that once. I think that's me. It's, it's disappointing if you're looking for the bacon. Uh, if you're trying to get off the bacon, maybe not a bad idea. <clears throat> um, <laughs> that was either somebody who's like, I've got some extra cups and I just don't want to take them to the back. Or the boss was like, you didn't put nearly enough cups out last time. And he's like, okay, well, we'll make sure there's enough this time. <laughs> <laughs> some of those are humorous. Probably some of those people got chewed out by their, by their boss at, at some point at, during the day. Uh, all those people had one job and they lost focus or didn't understand their responsibility or something went wrong. Well, in, in the passage that we're looking at today, the, the Bible is telling us that we have one job or, or better yet, one thing, one goal that we have to remember one, one area of focus for our lives that should drive everything that we do. There are lots of things to get caught up in, lots of distractions in this world, and even good things to get caught up in. But the Apostle Paul makes it clear that he has one goal. In the passage that our brother read for us, Paul says, I've not already reached the goal, I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I, pers- uh, what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. So if you're taking notes, the first thing that I want to point out here today is the, the goal that, that Paul has, that he set forth, is that, that we may know him. Paul is single-minded in his objective to pursue Jesus Christ. We get a little bit, in the, it's a little bit unfair just to read these verses because uh, he's picking up 
this idea that he started back in, really back in verse 8, is he's talking about he has his heartbeat, uh, and, and really verse 10 gets it uh, most clearly. He says, my goal is to know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death. Paul's heartbeat was above all to know Jesus in the power of his resurrection and even enter into the fellowship of his sufferings, even walk alongside Christ in such a way that he would be persecuted for the sake of Christ and to understand that the suffering that was going uh, and taking place in Paul's life as a part of being a follower of Jesus Christ was helping to conform him into that image of Jesus Christ. And so Paul said, my overarching objective, my heartbeat, is to pursue Jesus above else. I want to know him. This was, the ultimate in, this was the ultimate and complete gaining of Christ that was the apostle's greatest desire. And he says, this is the prize that I long for. Some of you have competed, whether it's in athletics or some other competition, and, and sometimes the prize is sort of lackluster. Sometimes the prize is a coveted prize, and it motivates you. And Paul was definitely motivated by this prize of gaining Jesus, of coming into a more intimate and deep relationship with Jesus. And he says, and, and, and it's what Brother Jeff shared just a couple weeks ago, he says, I count everything else as loss if... I don't get Jesus. He was single-minded in his goal. He didn't want to be distracted. He says elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 9.26, he says, I don't run like one who runs aimlessly. When you watch an Olympic runner or you watch a competition, there's purpose in their steps. If, if, you've, ever, if you've ever trained for especially... Um, uh, short distance and sprinting, running, you know that there's, you can't waste a single motion. You can't, you can't lollygag, you can't, you can't add in extra distractions or you're, you don't have a chance. Paul says, I don't want to be aimless. I don't want to be purposeless. I don't want to wander through this life without a clear goal. And his goal is to know Jesus. He did not want distractions. And notice that one of those distractions, one of those potential distractions, he mentions in ver verse 13. He says, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is head, ahead. Paul knew that we could get distracted and waylaid by the past. What's behind? Both the good things and the bad things. We get caught up in the glory days of those moments that, that we thought were special or that captured our hearts. And be like Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite, watching old tapes of my high school football games. And man, what could have been if, if I hadn't, if, I, if the right coach had seen me. We can get caught up in, in our glory days of our Christian faith. We remember this particular event or that time where God was working or that time where I was serving. And we forget about what's in front of us. And we stay stuck in the past. But, you know, another way that we get stuck in the past is because of our failures, because of our sin. Sin that Jesus has forgiven us of. Sin that has is, is been cast as far as the east is from the west, Scripture tells us. That he's blotted it out with the blood of Jesus Christ, and yet we still get hung up. We still think, man, that was a really big deal, though. And, and we create burdens that Jesus has said, here, I'll take that. 
My blood covered that. Back in August of 1954, the British Empire Games were taking place in Vancouver, Canada, and it was hyped up. It was a big deal. Because at that point, there were only two sub-four-minute mile runners on the face of the planet. Roger Bannister, who had done it first, he was, he was uh, British, um, an accomplished man, uh, would become Dr. Roger Bannister, and a master at Oxford College. And more recently, the Australian John Landy had accomplished this feat, and they were going to square off, and the whole world was watching these two men as they raced. And some of you may even um, remember when this took place, or some of you may have even seen photos. Uh, but throughout the race, um, Ban- uh, uh, Bannister took off and, and, and was leading the, much of the race. He had his strategy, and uh, he had increased his pace, uh, was, was um, doing well, and then all of a sudden, um, Landy, as, as Bannister was, was making his progress towards the, the finish line, Landy began to run faster, and uh, Bannister was struggling to keep up. Uh, Landy pulled into the lead, and both men were flying. Bannister felt sure uh, he was going to lose if Landy did not slow down. He, he, he began to see this Australian and began to realize, I don't, know if I, can, I, I don't know if I can catch up to him. And what became a famous photo as they, as they neared the finish line, as Landy had that lead, he noticed that he couldn't hear Bannister's footsteps. And whether it was because of the crowd noise or because Bannister's footfalls matched his own, He wasn't sure where his opponent was, and so he made a fatal mistake. Landy, the Australian, looked over his shoulder to see where his opponent was. And that simple action slowed him down just enough that Bannister moved past him and won the race by five yards at the finish line. One simple action. It wasn't much, but he he looked behind. Too often, we are not, our eyes are not on the race before us because we've looked back. Whether it's for the glory days or we're caught up in, in sin. The writer of Hebrews says that sin that so easily besets us. We're distracted. Paul says, I don't want to look back. I don't want to get caught up on the past. Whether it was the good stuff or the bad stuff. I, I, I want to look ahead And keep my eyes fixed on the goal. He says that I may know him. Paul reveals to us in this passage the goal. If you're taking notes, that's the the first blank there. But secondly, he also points to us the motive. There's actually probably several things that we could say here. Several motives that would inspire us. But here, he reminds us that, that we've been taken hold of by Jesus Christ. Paul's motive is is because Jesus has gripped his heart with the love of God. Look at verse 12. Not that I've already reached the goal, or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because. Why do you, why do you make every effort, Paul? Because I have been taken hold of by Jesus Christ. What a beautiful picture. 
Paul uses this, this Greek word that's translated take hold of. He uses it three times in two verses. It's an important word to him here to communicate his message. It, it really is the idea of to catch. It can also be translated to win or to, to lay hold of. To grab a hold and, and not let go. It's sort of like he's saying, I want to get my hands on this goal just like Jesus Christ got his hands on me. Paul answers the question, why do I keep pressing forward with this single-minded devotion? Because Jesus has a hold of my life. This is just another reminder that God is the one who started the work in our hearts. Philippians 1.6, we, we, we talked about that back in chapter 1. Christ is both the means and the end of God's call. This knowing him finally and fully is the prize toward, toward which Paul stretches every nerve. And he says, Jesus, he's grabbed a hold of my life. How about you this morning? Has, has Jesus gripped your heart? We can say things like, we use these, these Christian phrases about, I, I, I got saved, or Jesus lives in my heart, or I'm a follower of Christ. But I wonder if what we mean by that, do we mean that, that Jesus is our all-consuming passion? Do we mean that, that he, has, he, has, he is the Lord of our life, that, that everything we do is with an with a eye towards how we can please him? How we, how we raise our kids, how we go about our day and use our time, our, our, our work, our vocation that God has given to us to, to serve him, how we use our, our money, how we use our free time, the things we think about, the, the, the activities that we're involved in, the hobbies that we're involved in. Are we using it for the goal of knowing him, of grabbing a hold of this prize in the way that we have been grabbed a hold of by Jesus Christ? Just talking to another brother this morning uh, about some, some fellow believers that we know. And it was like, when, when, when they came to Christ, out of, out of a background of, out of a rough background, it was, there was no doubt. God gripped their life and they haven't ever been the, been the same. And it was apparent to everybody around them. This, they could testify and, and, and they exemplify the fact that they have been taken hold of by Jesus Christ. This, my brothers and sisters, is the gospel. It's standing in awe of our Savior Jesus Christ who has loved us enough that he would, he would give his own life for our sins. To forever change us. You've heard me say this before, but salvation is not just a transaction where I go and hand God my faith and then he hands us this thing, of, this thing called salvation and we say, you know, thanks. It's not just like going to the grocery store or buying something online, this trade. The Bible talks about our salvation as a miracle, the, the new birth in Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2 talks about being made alive in Christ Jesus, those of us who are dead in our trespasses and sins. And this is the mighty work of God. And so Paul's motive to know him was that he had been gripped completely. He was consumed with Jesus Christ. He says, I make every effort to take hold of it because I've also been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. The third thing that I want to point out here is Paul's method. 
Paul's method. Now, we've talked a little bit about this throughout this book. Paul's method was this spirit, spirit-fueled endurance. Paul uses some phrases here. We see him talk about, in verse 12, I, I make every effort to take hold of. In verse 13, he says that he reaches forward to what is ahead. Verse 14 uh, it's actually the same Greek word that is mentioned in verse 12. It's just translated a little bit differently here in, in, in my Bible. He says, I pursue as my goal. He's, he's got all of these different verbs that he's using to communicate that, that he is, he's leaning in. He's making every effort. Paul does not use words like meander, wander, amble, stroll. Those aren't in his vocabulary. He uses words that speak of exertion to the uttermost, straining, purposeful, intense effort, moving towards the goal. And it's not just here he talks like this. We could, we could throw up a bunch of scriptures. And, uh, in Colossians 1.29, he talks about a toil and struggle. In uh, 1 Timothy 4.10, he talks about toiling and striving. In Romans 15.20, he talks about his ambition. Hebrews, or, uh, 1 Corinthians 9.27, his discipline. In, uh, uh, in 1 Thessalonians 1.3, he talked about his, his work. Paul was a man who, who was gritty. He uses these words to describe an ongoing, grasping, strenuous pursuit. He was not in cruise control. But here's the thing, that doesn't just come from a a, a simple decision to try harder. We we talk a lot about the difference between uh, grace and legalism. And and even when you start to talk about discipline, it can sound a little bit like legalism. One writer says here, it's important to notice the difference between discipline and legalism. The difference is one of motivation. Legalism is self-centered. Discipline is God-centered. The legalistic heart says, I will do this thing to gain merit with God. I will do this thing so that God will be happier with me. Or other people will be happier with me. The disciplined heart says, I will do this thing because I love God and want to please Him. Because God has already accepted me. There's an infinite difference between the motivation of legalism and discipline. Paul knew this implicitly and fought the legalists bare-knuckled all the way across Asia Minor, never giving an inch. And now he shouts to us, train or discipline yourself to be godly. If we confuse legalism and discipline we do so to our own soul's peril, and it will lead to either, either we'll, 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 we'll go down the path of legalism, of I want to try to earn God's favor, I want to keep him happy with me, or we go, if, if, we wanna, if, we're, if we're not walking a balanced life of spirit-fueled discipline, we'll go down the path of, ah, eh, you know what, I don't want to sound legalistic, so we're just going to not talk about things like working, effort, toil, strive, strenuous, exertion, We're not going to talk like that. We're just going to talk about like, hey, God's at work and we're just going to let him do his thing. Paul walked this balanced life of, I'm making every effort, 
but I need the grace of God moment by moment every single day. I, I, and and we, we looked at that earlier here just a few weeks ago. Paul says, God's at work within you, both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. I think it was chapter 2, verse 12, maybe. God's at work within you to will, to give you the will, to give you the desire, to get you even feeling like Paul's talking about here, and to do according. He's, he's there to give you the strength. God says, I will equip you with the passion, and I will equip you with the strength. You don't have to do it on your own. You don't have to grit your teeth and muster it up. And, and, and Paul's secret here is Jesus Christ. He is so enamored with Jesus Christ that as he's filled up, that motivation comes because he's constantly gazing at Jesus. And also the strength comes because the Spirit fills him as his mind is fixed on Christ. You can, we've said it again and again throughout this book. As Paul talks about Jesus, uh, I think we said 25, 26 times in these four chapters. You can't think and look upon Jesus too much. We, we, we rush to the bookstores to try to find the latest book to help me overcome sin, to help me, help me figure out how to change, how to help me be a better husband, how to be a better dad, how to be a better wife, how to, how to be a more effective witness. And, and, and many of those books can give us helpful thoughts, but at the end of the day, it's about Jesus Christ. And the more I'm consumed with Jesus Christ, the, the more that wellspring builds up, and I can't help but want to witness. The more I'm consumed with Jesus Christ, the, the more he's going to convict me of, of being a selfish husband. The, the more I'm consumed with Jesus Christ, the more I'm going to want to move towards my kids to point them to this one whom I love so much. The, the, the more I'm consumed with Jesus Christ, the, the more that I want to I be focused and not let... Not let streaming Netflix binging grab a hold of my heart. But I want Jesus to grab a hold of my heart. But here's the disclaimer. And here's the grace that we need to remember is extended to each of us. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. I, I always want to be attentive. We, we, we <laughs> I've discovered in marriage that, that you can say something and um, it, it not be received in the manner that you intended it to be received. Any, any married couples ever had that experience? That, that, that there, <laughs> I see a couple people shaking their head no. Um, you may have had good intentions. Your, your, your thought was maybe I want to be super helpful to my husband here. By just helping to explain to him the right way to do these dishes. He would be blessed to know how you properly do dishes. If, if it were me, I wouldn't want to go about this process without knowing the right way to do it. So I want to share with him the God-ordained method of properly cleaning our utensils. Usually the method, the motive is coming from a good place, Right? Valentine's Day is this week. Like, honey, I, I just want you to know, I, I, uh, I didn't get you any flowers because I thought you would want me to save that $14.99 for our summer vacation. Your motive might be great. And, and some of your spouses are out there like, yeah, don't, don't buy, buy me flowers. But I get that. Like, but, but a lot of times the message is not received well, right? And, and one of the things that we could get confused here 
and, and, and potentially beat ourselves up is if, if, we're, if, we re, if we forget that the Christian life is a struggle. If we forget that it's a battle. We may say, we may look at, and, and I, you know I love, I love biography and I love hearing the stories of men and women of the faith. There can be a danger in that as you look and you think, man, I could never measure up to that. I've never done that. Or look at this super Christian at church. Look how much they pray. Or, or look, look how much they tithe. Or look how much they're just pouring into sharing. The, they share the gospel everywhere they go. They're sharing the gospel in the drive-thru. And I just, I just, all I want is my burger. I don't want to tell that person about Jesus. And we can beat ourselves up. And, I, and I'm not trying to give anybody an out here. If the Spirit of God is convicting you and you said, you're saying, and you're hearing him say, I'm not single-minded. I'm not focused right now. I'm not pressing on with all of my might toward that goal. I don't want to say this to alleviate the Spirit's conviction in your heart. But I also want to say is, there's grace today, okay? There's grace when we don't get it right. There's grace when we just want our kids to go to bed and we don't have enough energy to do family devotions and we, we just send them off without praying together. There's grace for that. Paul says, listen, I haven't attained to this yet. None of us are going to attain perfection. He says, not that I've already been made perfect. I'm not going to reach it here. But he says, that doesn't, get it, that's, that doesn't keep me from pressing on. You may have had a really bad day yesterday. You might have really blown it. Maybe you turned towards sin. Maybe, maybe your, your envy or your anger got the best of you. Today's a new day. Today's a day to start a new chapter. Every moment is a chance to start again because of the grace of God. Paul says in verse 13, I don't consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching toward what is ahead. And Paul wants us to know that living this way, pursuing Jesus with single-mindedness, yet also knowing that I'm not there yet, I'm not going to get it right all the time. He wants us to know that this is a sign of spiritual maturity. Verses 15 and 16, he says, Therefore, let all of you who are mature think this way. <laughs> I love that. It's, he's like, like, oh, is anybody out there to disagree with me? That's all right. You're just not mature yet. It's okay. And he, he goes on to say, And if any of you think differently about anything, God will reveal this to you also. <laughs> you, you'll get it. You'll come along. God's going to show you. God's going to show you the path to maturity. And, and he does. Listen, my brothers and sisters, when we pursue Jesus with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and we, we love him and we truly want to know him, he's going he's to speak to us. He's going to lead us. He's going to show us. And he says, God's going to reveal this to you. If you're struggling today with the next step to take, what God's calling you to do, how, how this sort of single-minded faithfulness to God, how it should look, he says, God will reveal it to you. If you're pursuing him, you're getting alone to pray with him. You're with community, uh, sharing your heart with others and asking for their, their counsel and praying together. God's going to lead you. I think just one, one, one last thought here that ties into this, this point as well is that along with this idea of maturity, that the mature believer is going to be pursuing Jesus. I think, I think we also need to remember that 
True maturity means the closer I get to Jesus, the, the more I'll realize how far I still have to go. I was talking to an older brother recently, an older believer. He's been a believer many, many years, and he just said, I don't know what it is. It's like the older I get, the more clearly I see my sin. And he said, it's the more, the more I pursue Jesus and the, the more I grow, the more I seem to be aware of how far I, I still have to go in this life. And I, I think that's biblical. The closer you get to Jesus, the more his holiness reveals our heart. The more aware of our desperate need of his grace we are. My brothers and sisters, I just want to repeat as we close that the only way to live this way, the only possible way to pursue Jesus with this kind of passion is to remember that he has grabbed a hold of your life. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, if the love and grace of God has not gripped your heart, there's a few of us that will be up front here who would love to talk to you about what it means to know Jesus. Not just what it means to pray a prayer or to raise your hand at a service and say, yeah, sure, I'll sign up for that. I'll sign up for Christian whatever. But I want to be taken hold of by Jesus. I want to pursue Jesus. I want to know him like Paul prays and declares. And because his life had been gripped by the gospel of Jesus Christ, because he was consumed with the one who had died on the cross for his sins and had saved him through faith, he could live this way. We can't get him confused. You cannot live with this passion without first being taken hold of by Jesus. Otherwise, it's just legalism. Jesus grips your heart, and then you live this way. And my prayer is that passionate pursuit of Jesus is something that not only each of us do, but that as a church, we join together pursuing, pressing on towards that final goal, the prize of knowing him, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We don't want to be we don't want to be sprinters who just run for a short while and quit. We want to be endurance runners. We want to run our race well to the very end. And we want to do it with a single-mindedness, oh God. You know <laughs> Jesus, you lived in this world. You know the distractions that we face. You know you know the messages that we get pummeled with. And even the good things that come our way that threaten to pull us away from you. Oh God, give us a, a, a heart that longs to take hold of you as you have taken hold of us. Father, would you just reveal to us, even in this, in this quiet moment, what some of those distractions might be. Reveal to us, O oh God, in your, in your grace some of the things that may have taken us off course. Maybe it's sin and temptation, just straight up disobedience 
to you, O oh God. I pray that even this morning that we would see, as, as Romans 2 says, that the goodness and kindness of God leads us to repentance. That we would see you and your love and your gentleness pursuing us and that we would repent and, and turn from that which is keeping us off course. But then I thank God that there's a lot of us here this morning that are led off course by, by even good things. Family and, and activities and, and, and hobbies and, and, and things that just, just distract us or cause us to numb out and, and just to not be, not be like you've called us to be. I pray, God, that you would reveal those things to us. And, and all the while, may we remember your kindness to us. That as you strengthen us, as you bring about that heart of repentance, as we turn back to you, you you're, you're there, ready to get us back on track. Lord God, I pray that we wouldn't be distracted by the things of our past. Whether it's former glories or, or sin that you've already paid for and we've already repented of that we would keep our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. And we run our race as well, God. And we press on with endurance by the power of the grace of God. Now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement and who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of His glory without blemish and with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and majesty and power and authority before all time, now and forever. And it's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Please remember, if you need prayer for anything, we would love to, love to pray with you this morning. May God bless you this week. Jesus.